How's everybody doing? Excellent. So if you did not grow up in church uh, culture, then what I'm about to tell you about won't make much sense. But it will confirm all your previous or current suspicions about how cheesy and weird and odd the church experience can be. Okay? Um, so for those of you who did grow up in church culture, maybe you remember, if you went to one of these places, the Bible drills, anybody? Got a few? You won. You're the winner. Five years in a row? What kind of town did you grow up in? Eastman. Eastman, Georgia. Yeah. I had I kind of thought that she was sitting on the steps. We wouldn't have these conversations, but uh, <laughs> that's all right, Marla. That's, that's good. Bible. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Well, here's how it worked if, you, if you're not familiar. But basically, the Sunday school teacher who didn't prepare anything would, uh, would take up some time at the beginning of the class period or the youth group session and say, all right, I need all the kids against the wall, backs to the wall. And then they would get, hand like every kid a Bible. And then uh, the teacher would call out a book of the Bible, then a chapter of the Bible, and then like a verse number. And the first kid to find it goes to heaven, right? And the, the last, it's sort of like dodgeball, like the last kid to find it, or if you didn't find it, you're just out. Until the, until the winner, who is Marla, five years running, um, would be standing there the winner, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So visitors and new kids, they just love this game. <laughs> they just love this game. I still have to this day, like, I don't know what, what point that skill serves in life. Like, no one has ever stopped me on the street or in a job interview. Well, maybe in this kind of job interview as a pastor, but, like, how fast can you find the book of Habakkuk? Um, 48 seconds is the answer, by the way. 48 seconds. So, but Genesis was always an easy one, right? And then sometimes the teacher would just start with that. Okay, Genesis, you can easily do that. Uh, Revelation was a pretty easy one to find. Uh, and the other easy one was the Psalms. The Psalms, was, when the Psalms were called, it was very simple. You just opened your Bible to the very middle, and more times than not, you landed in the Psalms. Right? So, so long, more chapters in the book of Psalms than any book in the Bible. It takes up a nice almost centimeter of pages. If you're looking at the binding, uh, it's pretty easy. You can get there. Now, as a kid, I never paid much attention to the Psalms. Uh, not at first, at least not in the early years of my faith journey. There weren't many sermons on the Psalms. There weren't many Sunday school lessons or youth group sessions devoted to the Psalms. Um, again, I wasn't really familiar with them, so I don't know why. But looking back, it may have been because the Psalms really, if you read them, are kind of loose. They're really erratic. They're raw. Maybe they're too hard to control. They don't fit well in a lesson. Like there's no crowd breaker for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, let's all get some crackers and silly string and we'll start this lesson. <laughs> On the whole, they're very difficult to rein in. They don't always come with this nice, portable, memorable, tweetable lesson. It's not usually there. And as uh, Kyle said last week, the Psalms are not doctrines, they're not position papers, they're not, God is not giving us like, uh, these are not uh, creeds, these are not, they're nothing like that, they're groans. 
their prayers. They're things that we say uh, when we want to speak about and to God. And when we open the Psalms, we're entering into something very, very personal. So personal that laws and rules and guidelines, they don't work, they don't work well around them. It's the first time I've heard that sound in two years. <laughs> Still know what to do with that. Uh, but they are prayers. And prayers, as you know, are about ascent. That we are ascending with our words to God. But also we are trying to put our lives in a place where they're ascending. That our lives would rise above the fray of our world's and into the light of God's presence and purpose for us. When we pray, we're trying to meet God at the crossroads of the divine and the earthly. That's what we're doing. But prayers are also descent. They're words of excavation, of digging around in the deepest parts of our lives, where struggle and fear and doubt, uh, and spiritually speaking, where inconsistency resides. Now, in the days of Jesus... The Psalms, as we have them, all 150 of them, they were already bound, as it were. Not like we have them today, but the Jewish people knew the Psalms. This was the standard prayer book, song book, hymn book of the Hebrew people. It was literally the uh, playlist for all the trips to the main festivals in Jerusalem. As they moved, as they walked to the cities for Passovers or any of the festivals, they would sing these and pray these. The songs of ascent in uh, a whole section of the psalm were just those, hymns that they would sing as they moved their way into the city of Jerusalem. When the gospel writers talk about Jesus going off to pray somewhere, he certainly was praying the psalms. That's what they were there for. They provided not just a script for prayer, uh, but a language of prayer. And the more that we are in these things, the more that we pray them, we begin to develop a language of prayer. We pray a lot off of a script in this room. We do the Lord's Prayer every week. We do the collective prayer for the Sunday. And maybe in the beginnings of those experiences for you, you're like, why are we praying the thing off the screen? But maybe if you're beginning to pray on your own, you start to recognize I'm inserting some of these ideas that we're praying about all the time as a church family into my own personal so they become like a template and a model for us in our prayers. But that's what they're there for. These words and images that we say in the Psalms, that we read in the Psalms, we ruminate over in our own prayers. And today's Psalm, Psalm 19, is so good. Uh, C.S. Lewis, by the way, who is not a technical biblical scholar, he was actually an English professor, uh, but he was a biblical theological genius, uh, wrote a whole book on the Psalms. And uh, it's funny because Old Testament scholars today will use his book to sort of work through these. It's very interesting. Uh, but C.S. Lewis said about Psalm 19 these words. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, I don't know about that. I'm a Grateful Dead fan. Some really good Robert Hunter lines. But it is an incredible lyric. Uh, not to question C.S. Lewis or God's word. But I'm just saying... <laughs> He's really putting it out there that this is, for him, one of the greatest psalms or the greatest psalm in the whole collection. So what's so great about this? What is so fascinating about this psalm? Well, there are three voices 
that speak in this psalm. And I want us to look at these together. If you have your Bible, Psalm 19, uh, we'll refer to some of these uh, voices as we move along. The first voice to speak uh, is the voice of creation. When Ashley read the text, you heard these words at the beginning, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And you have line after line after line like this, where it's creation that's speaking. Creation is saying something. That creation has something to say. Creation tells a story. This line right here, day to day it pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. I had these agnostic friends in high school, and my only inroad with them was the Psalms, because they just had lines like this. You know, and just to get them interested, maybe even in the God conversation, I could, and I remember this one, and just opening up, it's like, dude, seriously, read this, day to day, pours out speech, and night to night, have them read that, and you know, and I always knew it was going well when my friends would go, damn, <laughs> that's good stuff, you know. Now, I had no capacity to explain it. I just knew that it sounded cooler than, you shall stone the woman who, you know. <laughs> Don't read that part yet. When our daughter was four years old, she was fascinated with the moon. Uh, she still is to some degree. And when she would get out of the car, she would just immediately try to track down the moon, day or night. Because she had seen it in the day. That's like the trippiest thing for a kid, you know. And, uh, wait. <laughs> The sun and the moon are sharing the day. It's weird. But at nighttime, she would look for it, like just right when we get out of the car. And as we're leaving our car, walking up the hill to our building, you know, me staring at the light of my iPhone, and she, like, looking at the lights of the heavens. She would always say when she found it, Dad, the moon, the moon. And I'm like, that's great. Check out this boomerang video of a cat. Like, <laughs> so funny. Are you with me on that? Maybe this is what Jesus means when he's like, it's the faith of a child, that they still have this sense of wonder, even in creation, which is difficult for us because our world makes a lot of noise. Politics make noise. Marketing makes noise. News, breaking news, everything's breaking news. Social media makes noise. Your push notifications, it's just noise. It's a lot of noise. It all makes noise. Where we live makes noise. The city doesn't even sleep that quietly. I would say we live in one of the quieter parts of the city, but even in the middle of the night, you can hear stuff, whether it's people talking or that dumb cat that no one will claim or uh, our neighbors above us just, I, I want to say they got a new washer and dryer, but it sounds like it's really old. And uh, we can hear it, you know, even our son, who's, you know, deaf from Megadeth, uh, <laughs> is like, what is going on upstairs, you know? So, <laughs> I remember when, uh, where's Paul Shingler? Is Paul Shingler here? Do you re- I don't know if you remember this, but Paul used to live on the other side of the wall in our building, in his unit. And uh, do you remember this? We had a terrible washer and dryer, and it, was, it would rock. And like something was going on, and I remember getting a text from you, and you were like having a trouble with your washer and dryer. <laughs> so yeah, it's always noise. And the writer of this psalm is saying, 
the noise of creation is working to be heard over the noise of our lives. That's very difficult for us to see. God is speaking through the language of existence alone. You know? Even through nature, order, and beauty. Even science. Science is essentially this discovery of God's language. Of how he speaks and creates. When we discover new things, it's, we're learning more of the language. And the questions that the psalmist is asking us are, can we hear it? Can you see it? Frederick Buechner uh, wrote these words, that glory is what God looks like when, for the time being, all you have to look at him with is a pair of eyes. That we must see God in the world around us. The next voice in the psalm is of God's law. Look at verse 7. We'll just look at a couple of these verses. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So you have perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. These are beautiful descriptions of something that we would never consider attractive, which is a set of guidelines for living. It's very interesting. But the word law here in the Hebrew language is the word Torah, and it means teaching or Direction. Sometimes it even means way, a road on which we travel. And our Old Testament passage from earlier this morning that Lindsay read recounted the giving of the law to Israel, the Ten Commandments uh, at Mount Sinai. But it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's a host of codes and regulations and warnings and even promises The total number of commandments in the Old Testament is not 10. It's around 613, 14, something like that. It's overwhelming. It's all-encompassing. The Torah represents a way of living in the world, a way of being human. Now, many of the commandments that were given to Israel, they match the commandments of the surrounding nations at the time. If you read the law codes of contemporaneous nations to Israel. They're very similar. But Israel's have some nuance and even some radical departures. And they're all given to kind of bend Israel into this certain shape as a nation, to give Israel a certain sound such that its neighbors would notice and begin to question who your God is. And Torah, the ways of God in the world, was not so much rule, but announcement. That if I live a certain way, if I worship a certain way, it is telling a story about God. And the psalmist says in our text today, more about the law, more to be desired are they than gold. Even more, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What sounds really sticky. But uh, the psalmist is saying to simply understand the laws of God, 
and to live them out is the desire of our hearts. The rabbis have this great saying about the Torah, that the Torah has 70 faces, that it's never easily understood, that we have to keep turning it and looking at it in new lights and in new ways. The search for Torah's true meaning and application is never satisfied. This is why you find Jesus in the Gospels always in these discussions about the Torah. Jesus, what do you think about this? What is the greatest commandment? And then they get into this discussion. Or what do you think someone should do in this situation? Or what is the exact thing God wants us to do on the Sabbath? All these conversations that Jesus ended up in, it's just a product of the fact that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nuanced ways to live and be human in the world that God has allowed us, maybe even is expecting us to sit there and debate them so that we can become better and stronger people. But it's not just that easy, but it requires us to get in there and do the hard work of finding the true meaning and the application, but that's never satisfied. There are always more angles, more advancements, more understandings. That's because the world moves on. We're, we're not dealing with the same. When these were written, the world was flat. Are you with me? Okay? And so things change. And, the, and we come around these and say, how do these work in our world today? In Matthew's gospel account, Jesus is recorded as saying, of himself that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. It's a very interesting phrase, a very interesting statement about himself, that he's the fulfillment of the Torah, that the embodiment of the Torah is him, that he's the embodiment of all that it was and is, and that he wasn't getting rid of it, but he was showing you how it looks when it's lived in the world. Jesus is the living interpretation of God's ways in the world and what it means to be human. This is why we talk so much about growing in the ways of Jesus. To live as Jesus lived is to let the law of the Lord come awake in our lives and in our world. This is the kind of prayer that this psalm is. That is one final voice in the prayer, and it's the voice of the writer and he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I don't know if you grew up in a church tradition, but oftentimes that is what they quote, the preacher would quote before he began to speak. And um, that just feels really dangerous for me. So I don't quote that before I speak. <laughs> but you can see that you can see the, the reason why. That this prayer, this let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, it's about congruency. Let my life be congruent with God. And as creation itself has a voice, that's where the psalm began, that God's creation has something to say and it's saying it, that we too, also God's creation, have a voice in his world. And that voice, our voice, our lives should in some way, small way, large way, whatever, point back to God. And during this season of Lent, on this road to Easter, we all have this opportunity to pause and to think more deeply about ourselves. That's the invitation of the season, to think more deeply about ourselves, our ways of living and being in the world. And we're invited to pray this prayer 
this very prayer. And we're invited to do the hard work of staring into creation, of staring into God's laws, of staring into the life of Jesus, who is the embodiment of all of those things, and to wrestle with what it means to be God's people in this world. Let's pray this prayer this week together. Just each day, just say these words, read them, and let's do that together. I want to invite us just into a few moments of quiet reflection. Jeff's going to come up and just play some music, but this is a good time for you just to sit. Maybe you haven't sat still all week, but just a good chance to sit, to think, to pray, uh, to reflect on things that you've heard today through the scripture readings, through the songs, uh, maybe some things that I've said, but just to sit quietly in these moments together, and then I'll come back up and we'll head down the road to communion. Let's stand together and say this prayer that's in your bulletin. Let's pray these words together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you of all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. The peace of the Lord always be with you. Greet those around you before we take communion. reading of the scripture, I'll read it to you. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We say together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. If our communion servers would come forward. We'll speak the Lord's Prayer together, and then following that, you're welcome to come forward to be serving. Uh, the table is wide open here, so anyone is welcome to receive communion. Uh, if you have a gluten uh, issue, you can let them know we have an option for that. So let's say these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.
you stand. Let's open our hymnals to number 379, Take My Life. So the version of this song that we're going to sing is a little bit different from the version that's in the hymnal. The words are the same, but the music is different. So if you're a musician out there and you're following that, um, number one, I'm mad at you for not telling me that you're a musician. <laughs> but number two, uh, it should be familiar enough to you. We've done it before. So let's start with the first one we're going to sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to me. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and Yeah. 